Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 15 and 16 tonight. And then on Sunday, we're going to be in um, chapter 17. We'll be going to Athens. So in chapter 15, let's just do a little bit of review uh, from Paul's first missionary trip. So let's go back to chapter 14, picking it up in verse 26 through 28. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. And when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So at the end of chapter 14, we have um, Paul's end of his first missionary journey. When we start chapter 16, we will be looking at uh, the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. Um, So let's look at, now that the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas has been completed, and the churches which they established in Galatia, um, 100% of them were primarily Gentiles. Uh, The church faces its first great crisis. In Judah, many of the Hebrews converts are Pharisees who have no intention of giving up the Mosaic system. They assert that the Gentiles must also come into the church through the Mosaic system. In fact, they believe that the Gentiles are not saved until they're circumcised. The news of this contention reaches the church in Jerusalem. The apostles must now face up to the question, what course is the church going to take? Because now we have Gentiles, and we have Jews that are insisting you really can't be saved unless you're circumcised. So in Jerusalem, they have really the first church council convenes to resolve the matter. So as we begin this, it is uh, the first five verses I'd like to look at because this is where the contention begins. It says, And certain men came down from Judah and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, then you can't be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, I just had to stop and just look at that. No small dissension. (laughs) There's another way of saying they got into a big, heavy dispute over this. This is a tactful way of saying no no small dissension. And dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, They were received by the church, the apostles, the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying it's necessary to circumcise them and to commend them to keep the law of Moses. So now we're adding something to... um, what's going to turn out to be the first big debate, the first big powwow. And they're going to get all the leadership together. They're in Antioch. Last week, I think we talked a little bit about the center of the church moving really from Jerusalem up to Antioch. And so now they're going down with this question to talk to uh, the apostles and the elders that are there so before I go there, I want to, um, when I have the opportunity to expose uh, teaching that isn't doctrinal, 
but yet you know people that are gonna be a part of these movements. The first one I'm gonna talk about, a little sidetrack here, is the um, Hebrews Root Movement. And I'm just curious, how many of you here have heard of the Hebrews um, Roots Movement? Show me your hands. About half of you, I would say. Okay, um, the other half, you need to listen. <laughs> what, is, what is the Hebrew? Um, I could go on a lot of detail. Although there are many different and diverse Hebrew root assemblies, the bottom line, if I would sum it up, is they feel that the church has left off primarily in one area, and that is in keeping the Sabbath and the seventh day as a day of rest. And they're adamant about it. And um, uh, they hold to other um, doctrines. They don't think Jesus should be called Jesus. He should be called uh, Jehovah uh, or Yahweh, Yeshua. And uh, they basically have come up with something that's similar here because now they're adding to something that's actually a part of the law. Um, I don't think I need to explain circumcision, I hope. (laughs) Um, But they were saying that unless they were adding this, because it's part of the law, unless these Gentiles get circumcised, they're simply not saved. Now, what the Hebrew roots movement is doing is pretty much adding on to that, saying, because of the commandments, you shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This is one of the Ten Commandments. And they're now adding that too. And I want to compare that with what we're just reading um, here. Um, Along with that, I would like to add to that without getting into a lot of detail. I mean, I could read all of this that I'm not going to on seven-day Adventism, which also holds to um, keeping um, Saturday as the day of, of, of the Sabbath. So with that, I'd like you to turn with me to um, James. Get my notes all screwed up here. There it is. Let's turn to... James chapter 2, and I'm just going to read one scripture. Um, the James that we're going to be talking about, who's going to, we're going to find out, is going to be what I would consider to be the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, because you're going to have this great big debate. But when everybody has their say, it's James that gets up, and he says, here's what we should do. Now, remember... After Stephen was martyred, um, they decided that they would kill James. Remember we talked about that last week? So now we're looking at two James here, and I don't want you to get them confused because one of them is dead. The one that was killed after Stephen, the second martyr, is James, the brother of John, the two brothers from uh, the Galilee that were fishermen. The James that we're going to be, that's writing this epistle here, and we're going to be talking about when we get into um, this debate over Gentiles being circumcised, is James the half-brother of Jesus. So as we look at James chapter 2 here, that's who the author that the Lord is using is. I want, I want you to look at verse 10. For whoso For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Can you just let that settle in? And can you see by just this one verse, case over, argument over? Because if you want to keep the law, in this case it's the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And uh, that's part of the law. And let's say that you do that. And they're wanting to put this extra burden on Gentiles to be circumcised. And the Hebrews Roots Movement want to have you also keep it. But here's the deal. 
if you keep that and quote unquote um, become a better Christian or whatever, realize this, that's only one of 613, okay? So what he's saying in verse 10 here, uh, whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point. Okay, keep the Sabbath. But now you gotta keep the other 612 in order to pull it off and make it acceptable. Is everybody with me? There's only one person who's done this, okay? Jesus said, do not think that I've come to destroy the law. I have not come to destroy it. I've come to fulfill it. And he is the only one. That's why Jesus is the only way. He's the only one that kept all 613 of the laws. And he fulfilled it. So when he said, don't think I've come to destroy it, I haven't. I've come to fulfill it. So he never sinned in thought, word, or deed. I think we mentioned on Sunday or last Wednesday uh, what came up in men's prayer, somebody brought up that they, had, they thought they sinned twice that day. And as we were going around the table, somebody brought up, no, 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 no. It says in the Proverbs, on your best day, you fall seven times. And I think one of the guys said, I said that many times before I get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Either in thought, word, or deed. So this is a very important verse here. And it's a very important part of this debate and this discussion. And Jesus, a half-brother of James, settles it with this one verse. Go ahead, try to keep the whole law, but you better keep all of it because if you stumble in one point, you're guilty of all of it. But I think this is really important for us to get a grasp on because the times that we're living in today, um, you know, was ever right in your own eyes. Everything's relative. That's what you ought to believe. Five, believe it. Um, and you narrow-minded Christians, Jesus is the only way. Yeah, Jesus is the only way. Well, guess what? Jesus is the only way. <laughs> and why is he the only way? Because he's the only one who could be the Passover lamb that can forgive sins. Passover, when death passed over the houses that had the blood applied to it, that's where we get the word Passover from, um, that firstborn lived. But if you didn't have blood on the door, you died. It was that simple. Jesus died on the Passover. He was a fulfillment of the Passover lamb. He was inspected by Pilate four times. All four times he goes out and says, there's nothing wrong with this man. His wife comes down and says, don't have anything to do with this righteous man. I had bad dreams about him all night. Keep your hands away from them. But the Pharisees and religious leaders whipped up the crowd and they called for his death. All right, let's get back to Acts 15. And um, seven-day Adventism um, is another group that holds to um, Sabbath, but they also hold to the law. And they believe that you have to keep all the commandments. And um, they have a problem with uh, food, such as meat. They're very much into eating holistically. And uh, their doctrine is a false doctrine that needs to be exposed. Now, I was with... um, Let's see, I'm looking for the wolves and see if they're here tonight. Any of the wolf family here tonight? They've had a busy day. We talked in fellowship for, for more than an hour today. And having said what I just said, I got sidetracked talking about my grandma. Um, would have been my grandma Shulo. Um, she married my grandpa Doville. He died, and she got remarried to... Paul Shulo, who was a seven-day Adventist. So my dad grew up in a seven-day Adventist home. And the thing of it is, um, right before my dad passed away, he gave me Grandma's Bible. And in it, she had a poem. And it was one of the most beautiful poems. Dad would tell me stories about what it was like 
growing up in the Shuloh household. Grandma Shuloh played the piano every single night. The one song that I remember is End of the Road. That was the one I, that I got latched on to. And then she read her Bible every single day. I don't know of a godlier woman and one who's truly born again and yet is a seven-day Adventist. It would be like saying you have, we know all the false doctrine, Phew, especially this, these days with the um, Pope, the Jesuit Pope, who's a globalist, and um, he's full on. I don't know why Catholics aren't in total outrage right now because everybody's going to heaven and the same God as a Muslim, it's God is the same God as ours. I mean, it's complete heresy. And you're scratching your head going, well, what are the Catholics thinking about this? Because they believe in purgatory. They believe that you have to have works to be saved. And um, they, they believe in praying to Mary. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And yet, having said all that, I know Catholics that are born again and saved. And when you're reading the book of, in Revelation, the Church of Thyatira, which I believe is speaking and using that as an example of, of the Roman Catholic Church, he says you have these false doctrines and you better repent or else. But then it goes on to say, but you have some there that do not hold to this doctrine, but they're still part of the church. And he says, I want, I'm not gonna put any pressure on you, but unless you repent of these other doctrines, I'm gonna put you into the hour of trial that's gonna come upon the whole world and you're gonna go in it. And it can only be referring to one thing, the great tribulation period. And so, summing it up quickly, um, those that are trusting in their salvation because they're part of the one and only true holy Roman Catholic Church, and that's what they're counting on, and having their sins forgiven because of the Eucharist and uh, Jesus being sacrificed every Sunday, if that's what they're putting their hope in, the Lord's saying, you're gonna go through that period of time because that's idolatry. Just like he uses the terminology of Jezebel who married Ahab. Jezebel brought Baal worship into Israel and that's what the comparison is to the church of Thyatira. And boy, am I getting off track here. <laughs> so anyway, the point, what we have so far, these first um, five verses is they want to add something to a burden to put on the Gentiles that is not part of biblical salvation. And I wanted to point out these two false doctrines, um, the Hebrew Roots Movement and Seventh-day Adventism that hold to similar teachings. Having said that, I know my grandma's in heaven. I have absolutely no doubt about that. And um, let's pick it up now in verse six through 11. So the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter, and when they had been much dispute, I want you to see who gets up first. Peter gets up first. Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciple, his disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So Peter's the first one to get up to speak. And what he's referring to, if you wanna turn back to chapter 10, and um, oh, pick it up in verse 42. 
Cornelius is the first Gentile who's going to get saved. And when Peter is talking about the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the Gentiles, this is who he has in mind. So Cornelius, of course, had an angel appear to him and said, go call for Peter, and he's going to tell you how to get saved. So in the meantime, Cornelius gets all of his family together, brings them over, and they're waiting for, for, for him to show up. And um, Peter's just laying out the gospel. And when it gets to the part where it talks about the forgiveness of sin, um, let's pick up verse 42 of chapter 10. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sin. End of Bible study. Why? Because when Cornelius and his friends heard that, they immediately accepted it. How do I know? Because the Holy Spirit falls upon them and in them. And the Holy Spirit cannot fall on them and upon them unless their sins are forgiven. So what did they hear? Peter said, Whoever believes in Jesus is going to have their sins forgiven. Bam, just like the thief on the cross. Uh, he had no sinner's prayer. He just said, Lord, believe on me when uh, you come into your kingdom. And the Lord says, today. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. And so no sinner's prayer, no good works. He was a thief. He had nothing going for him. But God forgave his sins. What was a sinner's prayer? Lord, remember me. That was it. No sinner's prayer here. But what we're reading in Acts chapter 15, Peter is now going back and alluding to the fact that I was there present. Read the next verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. What? A Gentile could get saved? And as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And when they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, Peter said, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who had received the Holy Spirit just as we have? All right, go back to chapter 15. From verses six to 11, this is what he is referring to. God called me, Peter, to preach to the Gentiles. I was there when it happened, and um, he made no distinction between being Jewish or Gentile, and they're saved. But, verse 11, he goes on to conclude, we believe that through grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. All right, now this is Peter talking. Now, in verses... Oh, 12, we have Paul and Barnabas getting involved in the conversation. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So first Peter talks, then Barnabas uh, and and, um, Paul get up, And they declare the same thing. Now, uh, from verses 13 to 21, again, this James here, um, probably simply because he was a half-brother of the Lord, just, uh, this always blows my mind. Can you imagine having an older, growing up with an older brother who is perfect? (laughs) And here's a half-brother. And your older brother is perfect, and you gotta live with them. I, I just think of that and I go, poor guys. But anyway, just, just the fact that he was Jesus' half-brother, I think um, that's the reason I believe he is the main go-to guy. I would even take it as far as to say the elder or the pastor of the early church in Jerusalem. 
So let's pick it up in verse 13. And after they had become silent, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. So it's James now who's gonna give a word of advice. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. Now what I'm about to get into here is very, very important when it comes to debates and settling arguments, okay? What does he do? He goes straight to the scriptures. And this right here, uh, what he is quoting is uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, He says, just as it is written. And you know every time I find an Old Testament prophecy that's being fulfilled that I want to point it out to show again the Old Testament and the New Testament are one and the same. The volume of the book is about Jesus. Good place for an amen. All right. Verse 16. After this I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Notice even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does these things. What does James do? Well, he just gets up and quotes, this is exactly what the Lord said is going to happen. He's going to save the Gentiles who call on his name. And the discussion Should have been end of argument. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, the reason I think James has this position is primarily through this one verse. He's heard both sides. He's heard Peter. He's heard Paul. He's heard Barnabas. And he's uh, acknowledging this scripture from the Old Testament. But then he uses the word I. He says, I judge. Now, the rest of the apostles are there. But I, I think that, um, that he would be considered probably the pastor or the main elder in that church in Jerusalem. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. But that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and things strangled from blood. What he's going to, what he's suggesting here is when you're born again, there's just certain things you don't do anymore. Okay, is everybody with me? For me, the first thing that went was swearing. I was pretty good at it. (laughs) And when I was just real young in the Lord, um, if I got upset, I would say, <laughs> and that's all the further I could get because I was going to take the name of the Lord in vain. And uh, it was just a matter of habit. You know, it's just part of my vocabulary in those days. So you just don't take the name of the Lord. You just, your, your cursing goes out the window when you get saved. Everybody with me? I mean, it's common sense. You just don't do that. All right. Um, We go on to read, and these are natural things that you just wouldn't do. Verse 21, for Moses has had throughout many generations those who uh, preached him in every city, being rented to the synagogue and every Sabbath. All right, now James has spoken. Then from verses uh, 22 to 29, They're going to send this letter now. And we read, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch. See, Antioch has become um, just as important, if not more important, than Jerusalem. With Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named uh, Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, the brethren, to the brethren who are 
of the Gentiles at Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your soul, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. And it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Now, some of this would be relevant to their time because if you went to buy a pound of hamburger, it could have been offered to an idol in the morning and that would be very, very offensive. That isn't a part of our Carl Slusher day, so um, this, this, this thing is uh, restraining from um, um, things, idols, from blood, from things strangled, that means the blood is still in it, and from sexual immorality. In other words, uh, a fornication, sex outside of marriage is what he's saying. Now, when a person gets saved, um, that's just a natural thing that you don't do until you're married. And if you keep yourself from these, you do well. In other words, what he's saying, we're not laying any of the stuff that these guys came up and said, you gotta be circumcised. We didn't, we didn't send them. We didn't tell them to do that. Just do common sense things that a born-again Christian would naturally not do, swearing being one of them, taking the name of the Lord in vain. All right, so that's the letter from verse 22 to 29. Um, from that, from they said this, we'll pick it up in verse 30, 41. So when they had... When they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now, Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets, also exhorted the brethren with many words and strengthened them. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. So they're going back to Jerusalem. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So the group that went up there, um, Paul and Barnabas and Silas, they, they stay behind. Uh, to encourage the church there. In verse 36 through 41, um, there is contention between Paul and Barnabas. And these guys are good friends, okay? So we pick it up in verse 36. It says, then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where, where we have preached the word of the Lord. He's referring to here to his first missionary journey, primary, primarily in Galatia. And let's see how they're doing. Makes sense. Now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. But Paul insisted they should not take with him the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Let's just stop there and I'm gonna have you refresh your memory. Go back to Acts chapter 13 and look at uh, verse 13. This is on their first missionary trip and um, in verse 13, now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And here it says, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. And basically, he went home. He said, I don't want to be a missionary. And yet, 
he was trusted by Paul and Barnabas, and now he's saying, I'm going home. And now, on a second, now go back to chapter 15 again. The way that it ends is we have a dispute um, between Paul and Barnabas because Barnabas wants to take John with him. And Paul is saying, no way. Paul insisted that they should not take them, the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. Then the tension became so sharp that they parted one from another, so Barnabas took John Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren by the grace of God, and he went through Syria, Cilicia, and strengthening the churches. At this point, I'm gonna put up on the screen as we get into 16, Paul's second missionary journey. And um, you can see leaving Jerusalem, number two is Antioch. And as we pick it up here, we're the very first thing we read in chapter 16, we'll leave this up for the duration of the study in chapter 16. We have Paul's second missionary journey. And uh, then they came to Derby. okay, go to Jerusalem, go up to Antioch, and then you can see the arrow, it goes into um, which would be the country of uh, uh, Galatia and Lystra. So those were the first two places that they went on his second missionary journey. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium and Paul wanted to have him go on with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region and were going, say what? (laughs) Wasn't the first whole chapter 15 about not doing this? And so you, you have to ask yourself the question, what in the world is Paul being double-minded or what is, what's up with this? He takes Timothy. He's gonna take, um, go with him, but before he does, he has him circumcised. Uh, for they all knew that his father was Greek. All right, let's get sidetracked here just a little bit and talk about what, what Paul is up to. Uh, the final verse of chapter 15 actually told of the beginning of the journey of Paul and Silas. And through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. From there they will go up into the Galatian country. Paul will visit the Galatian churches because that is where the problem had arisen with the Judaizers. The epistle to the Galatians is Paul's letter to them, sternly warning them about being led astray by those who are trying to put them under the Mosaic law. It is his strongest declaration in defense of the doctrine of justification by faith, and not only is a sinner saved by grace through faith, but the saved sinner lives by grace. Grace is a way, and the only way, really to have that that life. All right, find page four. Okay, page four, where'd you go? There you are. These first five verses. Note carefully the method that Paul uses. When he went up to Jerusalem, he took along Titus, a Gentile, who wasn't circumcised. And Paul wasn't about to have him circumcised. However, now Paul wants to take along Timothy as a fellow missionary, and he wants Timothy to go out to reach people for Christ, since he doesn't want any kind of arguments or any reason for offense, he has Timothy circumcised. Not as a requirement for salvation and keeping the law, but this is what I call being 
tactful. He goes on to say this is not because uh, there's any merit in circumcision, but because he doesn't want it to be an issue. And so if he circumcises, he's not saying you have to be, but if Timothy is, it's not going to come up as a discussion in the area. This is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 20. And it talks about being tactful when you talk to people. I think one of the best things you can do, if you can get somebody to start asking questions, that's the best way to witness. Because um, um, I think the best example of that is woman at the well. She's a Samaritan. Jesus is a Jew. They don't get along. And um, Jesus starts the question, can I have a drink of water? What are you doing talking to me? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, we don't get along. But she started asking questions as Jesus began the conversation. I call that being tactful. And so we find here that Paul says in Corinthians, for though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself servants unto all that I might gain the more. And unto the Jew, I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Paul did this in order to break down all arguments. We use the expression, become all things to all men. Know who you're talking to, in other words, and read them. Uh, What are they into? Um, Are they into 60s music? Well, I could use that and go back and bring some songs out that, matter of fact, I just told this one, it was written by the Trogs. Um, um, Dwight, you you should know better than doing this. <laughs> Love is all around. And actually, it's a it's a beautiful song, but it could be written um as a song all about just Jesus. That just, it's just that clear. And you could actually use that as an instrument to become all things to that person, just to get him to open up. And um and and let the Lord sort of I'll lead it from there. A lot of people that do street wit- uh, are, are out st- street witnessing use very, very little tack at all. I mean, they got to sign up. Um, the end is near. Repent, or you're going to hell. Something tactful like that, you know. That really warms them up and opens them up. No, you become all things to all men so that you might win them. Use a little tact and be tactful. And that is exactly why we have here uh, Timothy in chapter 16 being circumcised. So they went through the cities, they delivered them to the, uh, the decrees to keep which was determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. Now in six through nine, um, the Holy Spirit, Paul wants to uh, go to Asia. But the Holy Spirit's gonna say no. So verse six, now when they had gone to uh, Phygeia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Now, how the Spirit did not permit them, I don't know. It just doesn't tell us. So passing by Messiah, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in a night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with them, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And what we have, if you follow the map here, 
and him uh, making his way over to Troas. You can see, let's see where that is up there. Up on number three, it's number four on your map up here. Now in 11 through uh, 15, this is their first destination in Europe. Paul went to a strategic center to begin his ministry in Europe. That alone makes the church in Philippi a remarkable church. For other reasons, which we will learn when we get to the epistle of the Philippians, we will see that this church was close to the heart of Paul. This was a church which loved him, and Paul loved this church. They were wonderful saints in this church, as we will see. So, therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to uh, Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. So, um, here they get to Philippi, which is is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we stayed in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside uh, where prayer was customarily made and we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. I mentioned Thyatira earlier as being one of the churches that John would write seven letters to seven churches. Well, Thyatira was one of the seven who worshiped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things that were spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged Uh, saying, if you have judged us to be faithful to the Lord, come to my home and stay. And she constrained us. So they were having this prayer meeting and um, uh, different commentators have different views on these verses. Um, This person who was praying that we read earlier please come and help us, says a man. You notice that there's a a little R up there? And it's really um, saying that um, uh, all all men in the world are going to heaven. Well, that's conclusive. It could also mean a woman. And there are many good Bible teachers that believe that this person praying, asking them to come, to this place was actually Lydia. And um, I personally hold that view, but I would not be dogmatic about it. And um, she was the one that was praying, and um, she heard the gospel from Paul, believed, and uh, all of her household were baptized. And here's, here's uh, I like to make the point, again, I think of uh, the Ethiopian. Goes all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. Why? He's an honest seeker. He heard that's where God's temple is. Jerusalem's where it's at. And so he goes all the way to Jerusalem and he's on his way back to Ethiopia And like the old song said, he still hadn't found what he was looking for. So what did the Lord do? Philip's involved in revival in in Samaria. And he taps him on the shoulder and he says, I want you to leave the revival and I want you to go down to the Gaza Strip, which is desert. And if I'm Philip, I'm thinking, what in the world would I do that for? All the action's happening right here. Well, no. God saw this guy's heart. And he's gonna send somebody to witness to him, and he's still seeking the Lord. He's up on his chariot reading Isaiah 53, of all things, and Philip, sort of, the Holy Spirit taps him on his shoulder and says, go go talk to that guy in the chariot. 
he says, what are you reading? And the part that he was reading was about the suffering of the Lord. And he says, do you, understand, do you have any clue what you're doing? And he goes, not at all. Not unless somebody would teach me. So my point is this. For, for people who are honestly, honestly looking for the truth, I believe that God will tap a born-again Christian on his shoulder and say, go talk to him. That's what happened to the Ethiopian, and that's what happened here with this Lydia. She was praying. And the reason he, Paul didn't go to Asia is because here was this woman who was desperately seeking the Lord, named Lydia. So I said, nope, can't go to Asia. And the only thing, reason I, I can come up with is that the Lord was answering this woman's prayer down by the river where they were praying all the time. Lord, help, what's up? What's the answer? Paul comes, gives her the gospel, whole household gets saved, and is baptized. Now we're gonna switch gears big time. And I mean big time. Verse 16, now it happened as he went to pray that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. All right, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, Old Testament, chapter 18. Paul runs into a girl who's demon-possessed. This gives us some insight into the spiritual realm as far as demons are concerned. Not all demons are the same. There's powers, there's principalities. Some Demons, obviously from this gift, have the ability to tell the future. Matter of fact, um, she was working for a couple of guys that were making money off of her ability because of the demon that was inside of her that would tell people what's going to happen in their life. For some of you old timers, remember Dionne Warwick? (laughs) Well, she was a phony baloney. For you younger people here, uh, she actually had a program and she professed to be able to tell you, like, this is the real deal right here, but uh, Miss Dionne Warwick was not the real deal. And so we have a tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater when we talk about um, this realm of demons Uh, indwelling people with the ability to foretell the future. Go back to Deuteronomy 18, pick it up in verse nine. The Lord acknowledges the same. He says, he's talking to the children of Israel before they enter into the promised land. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter to pass through the fire. Actually offering their children on the arms of Moloch. Or one who practices witchcraft. There's um, a lot of demonic activity that's involved was taking place with this COVID-19 thing and the vaccine and the real powers are behind it isn't Gates or isn't some of these other people in high places. No, the real um, one pulling the strings is actually the devil himself. He's setting himself up for the one world government and a one world religion because we read in Revelation what? 13, that all the world will worship him. And anybody who doesn't worship, guess what? Can't buy, can't sell, and you're going to get killed. Any of that stuff sound familiar today? I just read this morning that they uh, they just came up with, with a chip that will tell anybody anywhere in the world if you've been vaccinated or not vaccinated. And so tell me we're not... What did Jesus say when these things begin to happen? Look up, your redemption draws nigh. I believe it's late. I believe it's really late. Because this is today's news. 
goes on to say, or a soothsayer. Okay, now we're getting into the realm with this woman that has this gift. Or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer. Or one who conjures spells or mediums or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do such things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out before you. Okay, children of Israel, when you get into the land, this is what it's full of. You're not to be involved with any of these things. Back to Acts 16. Paul has this gal following him around, who's... uh, working for a couple guys that are are making profit by her fortune telling. Verse 17, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaims to us the way of salvation. Can you imagine a demon saying that? Well, all it did was annoy Paul. He He didn't want any advertising from the devil. And this she did for many days. In other words, every day this girl would show up and say, these are the men from the Most High God who point and show the way to salvation. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, not to the girl, to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Now a couple things strike me here. And what strikes me is, came out that very hour. In other words, it wasn't an instantaneous thing. But it came out. Remember um, when the Lord healed one of the, he healed several blind people. One was healed immediately. And the other one, um, you know, he spit, made mud, put it in his eyes, and go down in a pool of Siloam and, and wash it out, and you'll see. And what I would point out here is that you really can't put the Lord in a box. That he pretty much does things the way he wants to. So Paul rebuked the spirit and um, it came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitudes rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Well, they didn't didn't do anything wrong. These guys are ticked off because they're, means of making money, the spirit's gone. They're out of of, uh, getting profit now that she doesn't have this demon in her any longer. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, so here they come into the city, um, cast this demon out. Um, the people now making the accusation uh, make the point at verse 21 that they're Romans. This is gonna be important. And they're teaching things contrary to what we believe. So they beat them up, many stripes, throw them in prison, and um, they're put it in stocks. In other words, they're chained up. And this is what blows my mind. Here you are, you're all bloodied, you're all beaten up. And about midnight, my conversation would be going something like this. Lord, you know I wanted to go to Asia. Why didn't you let me go to Asia? You had to send me to Philippi. Look what happened when I was in Philippi. Now look what happened being walked around by some woman demon-possessed, proclaiming that we know the truth. We get beat up over it, thrown in jail. I'd, I'd be quoting some of the psalms of the, the deep, <laughs> dark night of the soul or something like that. 
This blows my mind, it really does. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. That blows my mind. And the prisoners were listening to them. You know, they probably heard what was going on. They probably would expect the natural reaction. Boo-hoo-hoo, why is this happening to me? Instead, the non-believers are hearing just the opposite. They're rejoicing in their tribulation. And they're counting it a blessing that they're able to suffer as their Lord did. You don't think that's being a witness? Let me make my point. People are watching you guys. They're watching me too. How am I going to handle it um, when I get pulled over for having a, a lead foot you know, or, or whatever? And, um, or at work. I believe that Christians should be the best employee on the payroll. Good place for an amen. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains was loose. And the keeper of the prison awakening from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself because that was the penalty. If your prisoner escaped, you died. And so he's ready to do the Harry Carey thing and, and be all done with it. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, don't harm yourself, we're here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, and this is great because all this led up to, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This was a witness. They could have got away. Chains weren't on him. Could have went. And he knows it. He was ready to kill himself. And he asks the question, and here's the answer. Verse 31. So he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household, if you're circumcised and keep the Sabbath. (laughs) Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household, period. And I gotta clarify, and I, I, we, we read this verse just a couple studies ago. I wanna make a distinction that just because mom and dad are saved, that doesn't automatically make you saved. But that's what happens in this case. And Paul knew it, and that's what happened. So, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all those who were in his house, and he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into the house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. So the jailer gets saved. Let's finish it up in verses 35 through 40. Paul's gonna get released from prison. And when it was day, the magistrate sent officers saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have said to let you go. In other words, they must have went back to jail. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly. Uncondemned Romans. Uncondemned Romans. And you have thrown us into prison. And now... Do they put us out secretly? Uh, They found out they were Romans. They're in trouble. Romans don't put Romans in jail without a trial and witnesses, and they did both. Now the people that did this are in big trouble. And so Paul's taking advantage of this, and he says, look, they did it secretly, and they want, they want to put us out secretly? Not doing it. No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So why did Paul do this? I'll leave you with this thought. Um, 
Of course, Paul's reason for insisting upon public recognition of their innocence was to protect the new believers whom he would soon be leaving there in Philippi. Oh, these guys are friends of Paul. We're going to leave these guys alone. And so he took advantage of him being a Roman from birth free, even though um, being Jewish from Tarsus. Lord, as we look at Paul's second missionary journey and um, really the first church council ever to take place, we know that there's nothing that we can add to the finished work of the cross. We sang a song tonight about our gratitude. And whenever I hear that in a song, I think about our salvation and having this attitude of gratitude. Lord, help us never take it for granted. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's a free gift. And all we can say is thank you and love you in return. And we do so tonight. And um, help us be more like Paul and Silas, that when we're going through a burner or a big trial, that people are watching and seeing how we're gonna handle it. And um, help us, Lord, when our flesh doesn't want to rejoice but complain, help us to rejoice in all things according to your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.